0: Hey, sober family, welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast where we're learning to love ourselves instead of
1: booze. Oh my gosh, if you are feeling bad, if you're feeling down, if you feel like you can't go on anymore, like you're too old, if you're comparing your insides to other people's outsides and thinking, I just wasted my life because everyone looks so perfect, that's just fear telling you a bunch of bullshit. You know, fear is false evidence appearing real. Don't buy into that stuff. Be the best person you can be. Great things are often born out of dire circumstances.
0: Today, Al and I have a great guest a uh, guy who i consider a, a brother he's been a friend and a mentor of mine since i stopped drinking uh, just over six months ago bo Payne is a gifted speaker he inspires people all over the country with his story of addiction and recovery and he's also a veteran of the united states army we actually served in the same uh, unit just a few years apart and uh, i'm sure that'll come up in the conversation <laughs> I'm your host, Dana Krall. I'm a former Army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military, and I stayed on a roller coaster of rock bottoms, recoveries, and relapses until finally, in the winter of 2022, I found my way out of the cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone, so let's break up with booze together. With me in the studio, as always, is my spirit animal and my co-host, Al K. Hallfrey. I need to get his mic up. Here we go. There you go, Al. You're all set. But, uh, Bo, welcome to the show, and tell us about your struggles with addiction and how you've been overcoming it.
1: Dana, yeah. Thank you. So glad to be back. Uh, We did this, I think, three or four months ago, and uh, it was an absolute pleasure, so thank you again. So my my story goes back a long way. I'm not going to bore you with the whole thing, Um, but I was alcoholically and drug addicted. I think I don't know who knows if I was at birth, but um, my farthest childhood memories. I'm well. Let me preface this by saying I'm the only alcoholic and and problem with drug addict in my family. Maybe I have a drunk uncle, you know, hanging out of some tree somewhere, (laughs) somewhere you know everyone's family does. But but. You know, I, who knows, man? I think I do, but as far as my immediate family, I was the only guy who turned out the way I did. You know, addicted to alcohol and substances, and I just my earliest childhood memories were just dysfunction and extreme violence. You know, and um, and in, I went through a lot of stuff as a kid. You know, a lot of a lot of emotional, physical, verbal, um, sexual abuse. Outside of the family, that was. There was ever none of that kind of abuse inside the family. But I eventually just turned to drugs and alcohol by the age of 11 or 12, and it was an escape. You know, I felt because I was so demoralized by, you know, listen, I played soccer, baseball, basketball, football, hockey growing up, and I was always generally the best athlete on my team. Um, You know this, I was ended up drafted by professional baseball teams, the Florida Marlins, uh, Milwaukee Brewers, now, I didn't make it obviously for a lot of reasons surgeries and drugs and alcohol but so I get parents especially fathers placing premium on their on their kids and wanting them to be the best that they can be and having high expectations of them academically uh, athletically you know just you know whatever realm they seem to be excelling in but the things that my dad did to me back in, the early 80s, mid 80s, maybe even late 70s when I was like six, five and six, you know, he'd probably be doing life in prison today, to be honest with you, the stuff yeah. that he did. And that stuff was just always looked at by other parents as well. We don't really know. We can't confirm anything. Yeah, he just came back from halftime with a bat, you know, at a basketball game with a bloody lip when I was 11 years old, something going on. But you know, out of sight, out of mind. He's not our kid, not our problem. And. My father was a very intimidating man. He was very charismatic and smooth, also. So people were kind of either enamored with him or they were frightened by him, and nobody just wanted to get in his way. And unfortunately, my body and my face and my my psyche got in the, got in the way, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a hell of a lot of times. And so, as I grew on Dana into, I guess, teenager dumb, if that's a word, you know, into my teenage years <laughs> and then on into adulthood, I was just emotionally and verbally. And mentally shattered, yeah. you know. I was the 220 hundred and twenty pound athlete, uh, national prospects, magazines. I went, ended up going back to high school, in Miami, Florida. I, had, you know, scholarships to every SEC school, potential first round draft, pro- projected as a first round draft pick going into my senior year, and and just everything just fell apart, man. I just could not keep it together. Um, the physical stuff made me tough over the years. And as you know, because you and I know each other, you know that it led to about 10 years in uh, incarceration in jails and mostly penitentiaries, state pens, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for drug-related and alcohol-related incidents. Um, but I just drank and drank and drank and used for so long because I felt so horrible about myself. I was, It was weird. It was like I was always told as a kid, you know, you're, you're such an embarrassment. My dad would say, you're such an embarrassment to me. Like you went... here. I'll give you an example. It went on all the time. So. I, I'd go four for five at a game, you know, four four yeah. hits out of five at bats, two home runs, two doubles, and God forbid the fifth at bat, I would strike out. You know, Oh yeah. my God, the, 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 it would, the shit would hit the fan. I would get the look, you know, that look of disgust, like you're my child, you disgust me, you embarrass me. Have the living crap beat out of me and being told you're, you'll, you'll never amount to anything you're pathetic. How could you let that, that kid strike you out? And I'm thinking, Oh, and he, he would always say like in front of all these people and I'm in my head, I'm like, this isn't Yankee stadium, man. This isn't like game seven of the world series. There's like 20 parents in the stands. Yeah. You know, and he was, he was just insane. Looking back on it, he was a sociopath. He had no remorse for anything. He was just crazy. And later on in life, my failures, because I was so insecure about myself from all these things growing up um, led to kind of, uh, these kind of self-fulfilling prophecies to where I'm like I would validate in my in my head all these things my dad would say I'm like well I didn't make it in baseball and I didn't re-enlist in the army you know because I drank too much I was a really great soldier field soldier you know on deployments and that kind of stuff but um drunk all the time in garrison you know back in the rear (laughs) And, and I just like and so i started thinking maybe i am a failure man maybe i maybe the guy was right and for many years i just had no confidence i had a lot of arrogance to over you know kind of overshadow that confidence a lot of insecurities and i i acted out and i acted boisterous and i acted like i had my stuff together in actuality i had nothing together you know a lot of homeless living a lot of homeless shelters a lot of drug addiction you know a lot of living on the streets and going to blood banks and plasma banks to donate money just to get drug money and and I lived for about two and a half decades that way, honestly, you know, 14 rehabs and VA hospitals, 10 years in prison, you know, God willing, a couple couple more months, I'll be six years clean and sober and I've turned it all around, man. And uh, yeah, so I like to take, you know, my pain that I've gone through and just turn it into purpose and help others with it. So that's kind of my main goal in, in life today.
0: What was the thing that made it stick this time? Like when we're six years ago and you're, uh, you know, in those last couple months before you finally stop, what was it that brought you around at that that moment?
1: Great question. So I still was in in prison and I had about two years to be released. And I went to the parole board. I was expecting to get out in about six months, actually. And the parole board said, well, no, uh, we think that you should Give us about another year and a half, and then we'll release you. And I'm like, what? That's an extra year. And so, but that's typical in my state. The parole board always does that. They just want to keep you longer and warehouse you and get more money out of you. But that's for another topic. So I was really pissed off, man. I was mad, dude. I was like, are you kidding me? And I, and but here's the thing. It's like, I kind of had a right to be mad because I'd been well-behaved and I didn't, you know, past times I'd gone to jail or prison, I'd... I was involved in drugs and alcohol and a lot of other stuff that goes on in there. You, anything you want, it's like a it's like a drug addict's wet dream, man. In, the, in those places, you know, you can get it, you know. Mm-hmm. But so I stayed away from all that and I was well behaved and I wasn't fighting and I was, you know, and I was. Anyways, I was pissed off for about an hour, maybe two hours, and then I I said, you know, this is it. I can't. I have no control over this. I have zero control. And I started thinking of that Serenity Prayer. Give me the courage to accept the things I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference. And I'm like, I can't change this decision at all. I'm not part of the Department of Correction. I'm not part of the powers that be. So I can either, I have two choices. I can either sit on my rack, go back to my cell, pout and feel sorry for myself and be this big victim like I've always been my whole life. Or I can look at it through a different perspective. I like to call it flip the script. So I said, you know, I'm tired of being like this. I'm 42 years old. I'm tired of being in prison. I don't belong here anymore. You know, I've been in here for DUIs. I had seven DUIs. and I just couldn't stop drinking and other dumb stuff. And uh, I just decided to stop. But I knew from attempts at recovering in the past and being at rehab and, and being in other pr- programs that just saying, "Okay, God, please help me," and then just sit on my butt and do nothing is not going to work. So like I talked to you before, I, I live in three really non-negotiable principles in my life, Dana, and those are gratitude, service, and solution. And slowly but surely, I started implementing these things. And I started waking up every morning and my feet would hit the cold you know, prison cell, the eight by 10, and I'm like, ah, this sucks. And then I'm like, nope, nope, we're not going there. I tell myself, we are not going there today. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my ability to go share my story with other people inside, other inmates. Thanks for letting me go out of the weight room or on the rec yard to lift weights, to play some softball today. Thanks for a sunny day. I just started flipping the script. Anything that I felt was negative, I just started purposely turning it into positivity. Even if I didn't feel it, I just forced myself to do it. And then it just slowly but surely became a part of my everyday you know, goings on. And uh, then I found out I had a lot to of offer people with my experiences. So I started to be in service. And this may sound funny, but like, you know, there's a lot of prison athletics that are very serious, you know, guys get in a lot of fights. I mean, I've seen guys get stabbed over stuff, you know, and, yeah. but usually the ma- the macho kind of more alpha males play. And I played college baseball and, you know, that. and so I started looking at some of these guys that would never get called to play on the team. You know, you raise your hand, they're like, no, we don't want, we want you to play because you suck or whatever, you know. And I started working with these guys, teaching them how to swing the bat right, teaching them how to field ground balls on our, like, hour and a half or two hour time we get every day at Rec. I started teaching them how to lift weights properly. I started doing things that these guys that were really meek and I'll say weak as well. And then I would slowly start seeing them get better at these things and then I would see that confidence on the field, the athletic field, transfer to the way that they held themselves Mm -hmm. in like say general population, walking to chow in the midst of like a thousand guys, you know, or and suddenly, you know, instead of walking with her head down and, and timid kind of the way I used to feel, even though I was just, you know, like I said, six, four, about two twenty, and I was kind of a, a big, strong kid. I was scared of my own shadow for most of my life. And so suddenly I would see these guys walking with their chin up and their, and their chest out, you know, and not all acting all tough and stuff, but just, you could see the confidence yeah. and you could see it come on in their eyes, you know? And I'm like, Damn, dude, that is cool that I had a little bit to do with that, and I had guys come up to me and say thank you, and then I started to go to like, you know, you go to anything there to get out of your cell, you know. I mean, I went to like, uh, Buddha, Buddhism, uh, Taoism, LDS, Catholic. Uh, you know, I was raised Episcopal. You know, I went to everything. I went to twelve step meetings. I went to, I uh, just you know whatever, just you know, and so I started soaking in all this different kind of stuff, and and. I started to garner, you know, not this religious beliefs that I had, these religious beliefs, but I started to really embrace my inner spirituality and a a relationship that I built with with what I consider, you know, somebody, a, a power greater than myself, basically my creator. And what I got and got and got more out of this is the more people that you can help, the better you're going to become too. And so I started feeling better about myself by helping other people. And the last one is solution, man. I've been taught a lot of principles on how to let, how to uh, live sober day by day. And if I don't, Dana, put my sobriety in front of everything and everyone else—that includes my children, my parent, well, my mother, uh, my friends, my employers, employees—you know, whatever—I'm going to lose it. I've, I've just proven. I've got decades of, of proof that if I don't put my recovery and my sobriety in front of everything, I will lose it. I am a horrible alcoholic and drug addict in recovery, but I mean, crack cocaine abuser, IV heroin, you know, I had hep C for 12 years from using dirty needles. You know, I drank a half gallon of bourbon a day. I just, you know, I pills to, you know, to come down, but methamphetamine to get up, you know, just everything, you name it, done it, did it. And, uh, man, now I'm almost six years completely substance free. So it's a good thing. And I turned it around, but I had a lot of help from a lot of people and, And try to live by those principles, you know?
0: Yeah, that was gonna be my next question is, who are some of the people that have made a big difference for you? Because, you know, one of the things I'm discovering is, (laughs) I think the reason that I relapsed a year ago is because I was just trying to do it alone. And I wasn't necessarily white knuckling it for a while, but Mm. looking back, God, I was trying to, I was trying to just have the willpower that I needed. And when I had a weak moment, I didn't have anybody to reach out to. 'Cause I had isolated myself, like what who were some of the people as you came out of that isolation and that hanging your head and you know, the feeling sorry for yourself or feeling angry about the things that you couldn't change. How did you connect with other people that then inspired and mentored you as you were mentoring other people?
1: Yes, so I have a guy that I work with, he's my sponsor, but he's a guy that has a similar past to me. You know, he just got thirty-two years clean and sober last week. He's a fantastic guy, he's like me, he doesn't push anything on anybody. You know, we've talked, I'm totally open to whatever floats your boat, man. If, if whatever's working for you, if it's making you happy, then stick with it, man. You know, I'm not one of the, you know, I, I don't get into that whole, you have to do this or that, that's just not me. I can share my experience, strength, and hope about what works for me. And, uh, but never will I judge anybody else's program or how they do it or how, you know, because I've got friends who've gotten sober other ways than I got sober. And I'm just as happy for them as I am for friends that get sober in, in my community, so. Um, guys like that, I I started to emulate men that I wanted to be like, that I saw that had this nice, quiet humility and had really pulled themselves out of the storm, you know, like walked through fire and now they're just forged in it. And I, I asked and I talked a lot, not, not, not openly talked a lot. I listened a lot, but then I'd ask questions and, you know, I got just a lot of the same kind of along the same vine of responses of, be open, be teachable, realize that, you know, you've got literally decades of research that have proven that your will ain't working brother, (laughs) you know, and you need something. And so I'm a big proponent of connection with other people, like-minded people like yourself, you know, or staying in touch with, with people, text messages or emails or coming on shows, talking with buddies like you, because really that's in my experience, Dana, how alcoholics stay sober. Is talking with one another, you know, instead of isolating or being by ourselves. They say connection is the opposite of addiction, and I absolutely believe that. Now, whatever that connection looks like to you, hey, that's great. Whether that's twelve-step meetings or whether that's just hanging out with with fellow sober buddies and talking about experiences like you and I right now. Seriously, like this is classified as, hey, man, we're just having a meeting, man. We're just two buddies who are alcoholics talking about our experiences and how we're getting better on a day-by-day basis, you know, and, and some of the pitfalls and downfalls and struggles that we've had. And I'm able to bounce ideas off you. You are able to bounce ideas off me. And that way we help one another. You see what I'm saying? And, and then, yeah, the information I get talking with you, Dana Kroll, I get to, you know, I get to pass that on to somebody else and then they get to pass that on to somebody else and hopefully you can do the same and and the cool thing is about it it's not a singular event you know it's infinite it goes and goes and goes and so before you know it you really have the ability to change the world you know?
0: yeah and i i love that you brought up following uh you know that you found a a group of men to follow or at least one man to kind of like connect with and and you know i have a a recent yeah and like where are all the dudes where are all the sober dudes and you know the instagram community is i i bet 95 percent of uh the people i follow and that follow me are are women and that's great maybe that's an over exaggeration but like what do you think it is that keeps men from taking that critical first step to reaching out and connecting because i know there's a lot of you know 20th century especially for guys in our generation uh you know a lot of macho stuff that we carry with us without even thinking about it And, uh, you know, there's all these stereotypes. So what was the difference for you? And what do you think the difference is for some of the guys that you um, have connected with?
1: That's such a great question. And and I see that so much. And for me, okay, let let me start by saying, for me, I just gave up. Like the pain that I was in and the pain that I was causing other people just became unbearable. So that was a big thing for me. But before that, and I get that, like especially being in the infantry and then being in, you know, in the rock and then and you being in, in, you know, going through Ranger school. And, you know, so we understand that kind of mentality, especially in the, in the nineties, it was driven into us, you know, and then, and then onward. And that is kind of pervasive amongst men, you know, and, and, and to a point, you know, that masculinity is good, but I think it needs to be tempered some because it really can prove it can, It can halt men from saying, "I need help." You know know what I mean? Does that make sense? You know, it does. To whereas, I I don't think that men are apt to bond around other men and say, "Oh, let me help you. Let me help you." And I don't mean in a weak point, you know, in a weak way, as much as maybe uh, maybe other women are. I don't know. I've seen I've seen men stay out there in alcoholism and active addiction forever because they refuse to ask for help. And, what, and I'm not knocking that at all. I'm saying there's got to be something either subconsciously or something that's been driven into their psyche that tells them that, you know, that's weak, bro. You can't do that. You can pull yourself up from the bootstraps and get this, get this stuff done. And I tried that for years, dude. And you know where it led me. Absolute m- misery. But even worse, it led to my loved ones being dragged down with me and the people in my life being dragged down with me. So for me, it's I have I don't have this big circle of people, friends in my life. Um, you know, I like the Instagram community and I post about once a week and I like to post about my own experiences. Um, but my true recovery comes from my, my inner circle of men that I know where I, it's tangible, face-to-face and we meet on a daily, not on a daily basis, but you know, we get together, yeah. we'll have coffee or we'll talk about what you and I are talking about. We'll hold each other accountable about, um, you know, if I'm struggling, I'm able to open up and talk to somebody who I totally trust implicitly and, and vice versa. And to be able to open up to somebody is one thing to feel good about that. But you know, what's so great is to have somebody put their trust in you yeah. because that's something that no one ever in my life did. They're not, I'm going to trust that guy. That and- guy's worthless.
0: Yeah, like I experienced this stigma. Oh, 100%. Like I know exactly what you mean. As an army chaplain, I, you know, had to fight that, uh, you know, in the 101st Airborne Division, you know, where you and I both served together in Third Brigade. And then um, in the uh, in the Ranger community, I'm not knocking either one of them. I love them. God, I dream about being back in them every single night. (laughs) Like I miss it every day. It was so great for me to help others and to have those connections with these guys who are these big barrel chested freedom fighters, right? And like some of the baddest badasses there are. And when they would open up to you, it's like it was such an honor and a privilege to share those kinds of moments with them. But one of the things that I found as a caregiver was I didn't take care of myself really at all. Like I kept saying, take care of everyone else. So how do you take care of yourself to make sure that that solution, that number one thing stays your sobriety? How do you keep you first and not uh because because all that we were ever trained was you know take a take a look to your left and right your buddy's sucking worse than you drink some water you know face out like then pick up your goddamn rucksack and move the fuck out right so like how do you put yourself first is the long is the short version of that long question yeah
1: and, and i remember that you know i remember like 25 mile ruck hikes you know it's like big rocks on you, you know, and just struggling, but I was a pretty good road marcher, you know, and seeing other guys and I'd always want to stop and help. But I'm like, wait a second, if I stop, then I'm going to lose my place in this little competition, my feet are hurt and they're bleeding. They're going to hurt more if I don't just keep driving on. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was my, my, my mentality back then is like, man, I just got to do this for myself. I, I, I can't worry about other people, but that's completely changed to where the more that I help other people, the more I start feeling better about myself. And it's just a win-win. So I just do the little things, man. You know, I, I have a routine. I'm, I'm a creature of habit, man. I'm, I don't do real well with just off the cuff, waking up at 11 p.m. or a.m., you know, and so you know, I have to, I just, this is what I found. I have to do things more rigid. You know, I have to, you know, do the small things. Excellent or as excellent as I can, you know, the simple things, you know I got to get up and like this may sound silly to your audience But I have to make my bed in the morning. It's the perfect way for me to start You know, it's a good way and then I you know, and I keep my plate I keep my apartment I have a nice apartment, you know in the city and I keep it clean and stuff So I feel good about it and these are things that I held accountable and I, and then that holds me accountable to other guys and Just doing the things that I used to let slack you know, oh, I can put that off till tomorrow. I, and Well, tomorrow becomes the following week. The following week becomes the following month. And pretty soon I've got so much stuff that I haven't even done that I need to do. I'm saying, screw it, man. I can't handle this stress. Next thing I know, you know what I'm doing? Drinking, because I don't want to think about all these bills piling up or all, these, all this crap that I'm dealing with. So I go drink at my house or wherever I was living then I'd go to the bar and I'd get about, what, six or seven hours of relief, wake up or whatever, and be 10 times more miserable than when I took that first drink. And so that cycle would start. So I, I play the tape through, like I, I really haven't had a thought about drinking since I got sober, to be honest with you. And um, totally just an absolute miracle, you know, but it happens to a lot of people. but. I don't, I'm not that arrogant or cocky in sobriety to think that it can't happen because I've seen people with 20 years go back out. I've seen, you know, and I, and I, and I spent so many years relapsing. Dana, I'd get 30 days of sobriety in a, in a 28 day rehab place. I would think, Oh man, I'm feeling good. I'm looking better. I've gained 20 pounds. I don't look like absolute hell and death and I'm not on the streets doing stupid stuff for crack cocaine and all this, you know? And so, I'm thinking, Oh man, I'm looking better, feeling better. I can go to the bar and get drunk one or two nights and, excuse me, knock it off, you know, but no, my, the kind of alcohol, al- alcoholic I am, I have one drink. You won't see me for weeks. Cause I just can't stop, man. I just can't stop. That's just the way it is with me. So I do everything I can to wake up in the morning. I'm grateful. Thank you, man. Thank you for my feet hitting this nice, you know, comforted and carpeted floor. Thanks for this nice bed. Thanks that I'm not in an 8x10 jail cell or a prison cell. You know, hey, thanks for everything that I have today. I don't have a ton of stuff, you know, but I I have a comfortable life and I've worked hard for it. And so I'm not about to give it away for, uh, you know, half a night of drinking and then three or four weeks of misery and then trying to...
0: I appreciate you talking about the importance of routines and even being somewhat rigid on those if if it's helpful, and I think it's something that I've kind of gotten away from where the Army, you know, I'm not a morning person, and uh, like, the Army made me a morning person because I had to be, and so I got used to it, but I never, you know, left on my own devices, like I've been off uh, this week because the Taco Bell where I'm working is being renovated, and so I've been doing DoorDash in the evenings, i just been sleeping in, and you know, not that sleeping in on a vacation is bad. I'm just saying for me, it's like if I get out of a routine, then getting, if I I can, for me, it's very easy to not get back into it. And, you know, Admiral McRaven wrote this great book called uh, Make Your Bed, and it's a short book. So if anybody in the audience wants to read it, uh, this guy went on to, he was a Navy SEAL that went on to command all of, uh, Special Operations Command for the entire military, if I'm not mistaken. And he talked about how when he was in basic, you know, in Buds or Navy SEAL training, how, you know, everything started with making the bed. And that it sounds silly, but that as the commander of the Special Operations Command, he still did the same thing every single day. The first thing that he did, one of the most important guys in the military, was making his bed.
1: So the importance of routine. And, and thank if you. he, yes, absolutely. And if a guy like that can say, it starts with making your bed. I think he he's got some cred. Yeah, I, I would say so. Yes, <laughs> you know, and, and and that's the thing is it it seems so simple. Oh yeah, of course, make your bed. Oh well, it's no big deal if I leave my bed messy. But for me, if I leave my bed messy, then I'm gonna leave my kit. I'm gonna leave my kitchen messy after I've done cooking my breakfast or whatever, and then I'm gonna go through my day sloppily, and maybe I won't be the example because my goal each day is to be a good example to anybody I come across. And this is not me standing on a. Pious or on some kind of soapbox at all. I just thoroughly enjoy. I've had a lot of help in my life, Dana, a lot. So I feel a real responsibility to give back to people, and I enjoy it, you know. And I don't talk about it unless I'm on a show like yours or something. And just, but you know, it's not a oh pat me on the back type thing. I thoroughly like intrinsically feel very good about doing that stuff because I I just feel like I owe I just completely owe because I've had so much help from other people.
0: Well, brother, you've given us so much gold. In this discussion uh, about gratitude service and solution and you talked about flipping the script that's probably going to be the title of this episode by the way um, that's cool man i am really grateful to you for coming on the show um would you share with me before we finish i've been asking all of my guests in season two if you have 30 seconds left in your life beau Payne. what would you say to the world, what would your parting shot be?
1: Oh my gosh, if you are feeling bad, if you're feeling down, if you cannot, if you feel like you can't go on anymore, like you're too old, if you're comparing your insides to other people's outsides and thinking, I just wasted my life because everyone looks so perfect. That's just fear telling you a bunch of bullshit. You know, Fear is false evidence appearing real. Don't buy into that stuff. Be the best person you can be. Great things are often born out of dire circumstances, and I've seen it. I'm one of them. You're one of them. So just don't give up on yourself, man, and just keep coming back and and just love yourself because you are more than good enough.
0: Oh man, man, it's gold. Like uh, Beau Payne, you're uh, a great. You've become a great friend, a great inspiration for me and for a lot of other people. But more importantly, like, you're likewise, a sober brother, normal. even beyond just being a, a fellow veteran brother. Like you know, having you as someone that I can connect with and that I know I can text at any time of day or night. Uh, you know, even though we don't talk a lot, like I know that you're there and I know that you'll have my back. Like if I get in, mm-hmm. you know, in a really bad place, man, like, I know I can reach out to you and that's the kind of person that I would encourage the audience to, to try to find. And, and I think you'll find someone faster than you think. And if you're hesitant to do it, because you've been burned by people. That was me, like six, seven months ago. Like I had basically said like, fuck everybody. Like I just, I'd given up. And and what happened when I made that decision to get sober was and, and start reaching out and risking connection was I met people like like Bo. Um, thanks again, Bo, for everything mm. that you've done for me and that you do for everyone else. And uh, Al, yes. Bo, and I send you our best sober vibes wherever you are by saying goodbye, alcohol, mwah, and hello, yes. life. Bo salutes you. I salute you all. Uh, much love to you all. Rakasan and peace. Thanks, Dana. If you stay to listen to this message, that means you're a core member of the I Alcohol Goodbye audience. So Al and I want to make sure you're aware of the opportunity you have to solidify your OG status by becoming a subscriber to the I Alcohol Goodbye premium service. For just $6 a month, you'll get these six great perks. Shout out on Instagram as a premium pod supporter, special access to a members-only Instagram chat group, backstage access to watch and listen in during show interviews, sneak preview access to full-length unedited episodes. Ask us anything on members-only group Zoom calls and bonus members-only content during season breaks. To learn more, follow the link in the show notes or head straight over to supercast.com where you can search for I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye in just a quick couple of clicks and you're in with the other OGs who have already been taking advantage of their perks. So whether you join or not, we just want to thank you for tuning into the show and we'll see you on the next episode.